So hello and welcome back to Last on the Breaks and welcome to Twitch, where as you can see, we're starting a new format in 2022. Uh, so we'll be live with you here on Twitch in video format. And then as well, welcome to all our later listeners on podcast platforms where the audio will be available. I'm Fran Wild, and uh, alongside me this season, we have Elliot York hosting the Last on the Breaks MotoGP podcast. Elliot, how are you? We'll start with the pleasantries and the simple stuff. <laughs> Yeah, I'm all good, Fran. Yeah, how are you? All good? Good to be here. I am good to all be on good the, indeed, uh... yeah. Yeah, good to be on, on the, the podcast air. this year. Looking forward to it on the air, yeah. It's just finally good to have some racing to talk about, isn't it? Like, we get to November and we're all very ready for a break. Christmas, all good. <laughs> and then you get into, like, the first two weeks of the calendar year and you're like, okay, we need some need some racing to talk about now. Racing, so, yeah, glad yeah. we've got we Qatar do. underway and we can get our teeth to, to, stuck into it. Exactly. And it was quite a race weekend, which we'll be debriefing a little bit later in the show. First of all, for those of you who are with us on Twitch, we're going to have a poll during today's live video, which is who was your standout rider? So we've gone for the top four as your options. If you, you know, really disagree with those and you want to add someone else, feel free. Uh, so we've got obviously race winner, Bastianini, Brad Binder, Paula Spargo, Alicia Spargo. Let us know your thoughts. And if you're listening on audio later, then also get in touch via the hashtag MotoGP podcast. Let us know who you thought was the standout rider. We'll take any shout at all, as long as you can justify it. Join the conversation. Maybe one or two for Vietti in there as well in Moto2. Uh, and we'll be going back to that later in the show as well. But today's guest, the first show of the season, the new last on the break season, is a paddock legend who returns to the paddock this season. And it is new Suzuki X-Star team boss, Livio Supo, who we're very excited to have joining us live today. Welcome, Livio. Thank, Thank you, you much. so much for joining the podcast, as we said when we were just getting connected before we went live. So it's great okay. to have you back. The first and obvious question for everyone is, how did you enjoy the first weekend in terms of being back in the paddock? Like we said, you've been in the paddock so long, you said it didn't feel like you've been away very long at all. <laughs> How was it being back? Yeah, that's true. Yeah, first of all, thank you very much. Thank you very much for the kind words of your uh, presentation. Uh, yeah, it was, um, it was a great weekend in terms of feeling, because after four years back in the paddock, uh, on one side I was uh, super excited, on the other I felt like I was there uh, since the, the week before, you know? Um, <laughs> maybe because it was a paddock that I already knew, like Qatar, uh, maybe next week in, in Indonesia would be different because I've never been there. Uh, but anyway, most of the people are always the same. Um, I did, it didn't took too much to, to get back in the in the atmosphere and the and in the uh, you know in the things you have to do during week race weekend. Uh, so yeah, very very happy to be back. Well, good stuff. We're very happy to have you back as well. So for anyone who doesn't know you, let us know, how did you end up in the MotoGP paddock? Like we said, you've been there a really long time. You've been with a few different teams in a few different roles. How did you first end up in MotoGP? Yeah, the first time I joined MotoGP was, uh, unfortunately for me, back in 1995. At the time I was working for Benetton. And we became supplier of uh, clothing, team clothing for the HRC Repsol on the team. In 96, uh, we did the full season with Ukawa as a 250 factory on the rider. At the time, the factory on the rider were usually Japanese. Before it was Okada, and in 1996 was uh, Ukawa. And uh, basically, Benetton was sponsoring the 250 class uh, for the 250 bike of, of Ukawa. And I, took care of, uh, of that project. Then in 1996, 97, we did like that. 98, I add to the project Marco Melandri in 125 with uh, Massimo Matteoni as a technical supporter. And at the end of 1999, uh, I left uh, Benetton uh, to join uh, Ducati. Uh, at the time, Ducati was only racing in Superbike, but already there was rumors about uh, MotoGP FIM uh, uh, proposing to have a four-stroke class to replace the 500cc two-strokes. Uh, so I start uh, speaking with uh, Claudio Dominicali, that at that time was the Ducati Corso CEO, and Filippo Preziosi, that was the Ducati Corso technical uh, director, uh, pushing Ducati to, to join MotoGP because I thought that, okay, Ducati was the king of superbike, 
but uh, being four stroke the new top class uh, i thought that ducati would have been uh, would have to to do the, the move you know uh, it was not easy to convince the board uh, but we did it and uh, finally we introduced our project in Jerez in 2001 if i well remember uh, saying that ducati uh, would have joined MotoGP since uh, starting in 2003 and that's what we did uh, and was a very successful debut with uh, Loris winning the, the BMW award. Uh, at that time, there was a winter test in Barcelona and there was one hour live TV during which there was the, the challenge to win. The fastest rider in that hour was the winner of a, of a BMW. And Loris with a big surprise. Wow, just in one hour. <laughs> That's yes, quite a lot of pressure for uh, one hour. With, with the bike that was at the debut, you know, I mean, that was a really brand new bike. Uh, so that was the first success of the of, the, of a very successful uh, season because uh, after five races, if I will remember, Loris won in Barcelona again. Uh, we end up on the podium several times, including the first race in Suzuka. So I think uh, was uh, the best debut for a manufacturer new to a totally uh, new class. And, uh, and then to, to do a short uh, story, uh, we end up with the championship in 2007 with Casey. Uh, and, uh, and then in end of 2009, Nakamoto asked me to, Nakamoto that was the vice president of HRC, asked me to join HRC and uh, I was excited to, after 11 years of Ducati, to have new motivation and new opportunity to, to work with a different culture, you know, a Japanese company is totally different. So I spent from 2010 till 2017 in, uh, in HRC. And at that time I felt a little bit tired. Uh, I need a new motivation, so I was thinking to do something by myself already since a few years and end up building an e-bike company uh, that is called Toki Bikes. And, uh, and then now, after five years, the, bike, the, the company is working very well. And I had this opportunity with Suzuki to rejoin the team. And I said, uh, you know what, uh, after four years of break, uh, why not? So when, when I left the paddock in Valencia 2017, they asked me, "Is uh, will, will you be back? And I said, never say never. At the moment, I, I cannot see any uh, chance, but who knows? And at the end, uh, life has been uh, like this, and now I'm back. Just talk us through a little bit more about your time at Ducati, Livio, because, of course, you're still the only project leader or team manager or the leader in the team who've won a, mm -hmm. uh, a title with Ducati, of course, with Casey Stone in 2007. I think it's today, 15 years ago now, um, that Casey actually won the opening race in Qatar. Um, 15 years is quite, quite scary, even for me. Um, yeah, just talk <laughs> us through your time at Ducati, because obviously a massive brand, like you say, the king of superbikes, then coming over to MotoGP and trying to um, storm it like you did in Superbike. So just tell us a bit more about your time at Ducati. Yeah, it was, uh, I mean, kind of pioneer, pioneeristic time uh, for MotoGP. Electronic was different. Uh, at that time, most of the people thought that, for example, a Superbike rider would have been a strong rider also in MotoGP because they already used to ri uh, race a four-stroke machine. Um, at the time, there was tire competition, and at the end of the day, has been probably one of the biggest uh, uh, changes uh, uh, that allowed also Ducati to, to win the title, because for sure, most of the credit goes to Casey Stoner, that was an unbelievable uh, talent. But also, uh, we did uh, we start to do better results from 2005, when uh, uh, we joined uh, Bridgestone. Uh, and uh, Loris won two races in five, four races in 2006, uh, almost, I mean, fighting for the championship because without the, a big crash uh, together with the, his teammate, Setegi Bernau in Barcelona, again, Barcelona is a, is a circuit where <laughs> there's a lot of uh, memories, um, Loris would have been able to fight until the end. So already in 2006, uh, the, the project was ready to win a title. And then in 2007, we had uh, two Three things, Casey, uh, Bridgestone and the new uh, 800cc rules. Uh, 
Filippo Preziosi that uh, at the time, as I said before, was the technical director of Ducati Corse. Uh, in my opinion, is a, is a genius of, of uh, is a, in, a real genius. And um, you remember, I, I mean, the one that remembered the race in Qatar in 2007, that at that time was still not in the night. Uh, in the first lap, uh, Vale was, was leading and Casey overtook him with a, such a, I mean, so easily that some, everybody thought that Valentino would have done a mistake, something like missing a gear or something, no? but in reality, the top speed gap was uh, ridiculous. Uh, Filippo, since the beginning, was, um, was trying to have a super powerful machine. If with the, we have lost 200cc comparing with the previous season. And that machine proved to be very competitive in the hands of, uh, of Casey, who won uh, 10 races in 2007, and, but very difficult to ride because on the other side of the garage, Loris, that the, the season before with the 1000, was able to fight for the title uh, in 2007, finished seventh, I think, in the championship. So for sure, the bike was uh, super uh, fast, but uh, not easy to, to, to manage. You need to have a super champion like Casey to do it. And uh, so, oh, yeah, for sure, I have a lot of good <laughs> memories in Ducati and uh, still good friends. And uh, I'm lucky enough that some of the guys that were in Ducati at the time are now in Suzuki. So, uh, you know, <laughs> it's a circle. Well, I was going to ask you, we'll ask a little bit more about Honda, but then don't worry, we will focus on Suzuki. We're not trying to advertise no your rivals. Um, but yeah, so Honda, of course, very different culture to Ducati when you moved there. Um, I think you were the mm -hmm. first kind of European team principal of that project that's now obviously the Repsol Honda team. How was that switch mm -hmm. from Borgo Panigale to the Japanese giant of Honda? Well, I've been lucky enough to do it together with Nakamoto-san. Nakamoto-san uh, was, uh, I mean, he is because uh, he, he's, he's not anymore in MotoGP, but uh, oh, thanks God he's still alive. He's a, he's a great <laughs> character. He's a very atypical Japanese. He can take decisions very quickly. He's uh, very, uh, very quick in everything, you know, and uh, he likes to joke. He, he likes to, to joke also with the journalist. Sometimes the journalist was surprised by, by seeing a Japanese doing some jokes. And so it's been very, very useful to have Nakamoto at that time because uh, for sure the, the, the Japanese culture is, uh, is uh, totally different. Uh, and therefore, to have a Japanese that is anyway able to act, not only to understand, but also sometimes act like a European uh, is, is a big help. Um, then, uh, uh, of course, there are other, other things. But uh, at the end of the day, the team is, uh, even if the company behind the team is uh, much bigger, uh, the team itself is not that much big. So at the end, working in the paddock is uh, very similar. It uh, doesn't matter if he's uh, Ducati, Honda, or Suzuki. Uh, the team structures are always uh, similar. The number of people involved are similar. What, ch what could change is how many people at home can help uh, uh, the, the engineers to develop the machine. I've got an interesting question for you, Livio. You've worked with a lot of very quick riders. You've mentioned Casey Stoner, who's widely regarded as, well, arguably the most talented rider we've ever seen. Troy Bayliss, Loris Caparossi, of course, Mark Marquez and Danny Pedrosa. In your opinion, I don't want to put you on the spot too much, but who would you say is the best out of those um, that you've worked for? Who would you say and is we'll the, say, the most talented? Excluding Mir and Rins. So we don't have I any questions. We won't let you answer Mir <laughs> yeah, and yeah, Rins. Yeah, yeah. So of the non-Suzuki riders. <laughs> yeah. Sure. Let's say I've been always lucky to work with the super talented riders and I can say even if i i just started that uh, it is the same now with uh, john and alex uh, because they both have um, a huge talent uh, speaking about my past uh, uh, it's easy to say is is mark at the end because mark has a talent that is uh, very similar to the casey one uh, on top of it he has an unbelievable character very optimistic very 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 he, he lives happy you know uh, and this helps a lot in, a, in an atmosphere, in, in an ambience when there's so much pressure. Uh, I think uh, the real difference of uh, riders like Mark or even Valentino, I've never been working with Valentino, but I, I, watching from outside, I think is very similar, is to have this passion. And it's not only the passion, but just the, 
the the way of approaching things being always uh, positive and um, and giving positiveness around the and, I mean the the team that works with riders like that have a much easier life and I think this is their secret okay cool that's good then so we can add that as another entry into the age-old debate of stoner versus Marquez <laughs> which is often the one on natural <laughs> talent. And then you have Rossi versus Marquez on number of titles and tactics and everything else. But, but that's you know, great. at the end, so, when we speak about this kind of names, uh, it's difficult to see, to say who is the biggest talent at all, uh, in, in really, in absolute, you know. Um, for sure, these are the, the, the best guys we have seen in the last 20 years. That's a, that's a good way to leave it because eras change so much, machinery changes so much. It's, I think it's a debate that you can probably never answer. But um, we'd love to get that insight, though, from someone who's worked with two, three of those greats. Um, so going back to Suzuki then, it was your first weekend yep. with the team officially. How did that approach come about? Because obviously we saw Davide leave for Alpine in Formula One. And then there was a little mm -hmm. bit of time when they were waiting to announce who the new the new uh, leader was going to be. How did it come about for you and, and how did you t end up taking the opportunity? Well, as you know, last year, Sarasan uh, thought that was uh, possible to, to run the team without a team manager. Uh, and then probably during summer or something like that, he did the first interview in which he said, you know what, I understood that probably it's better to have a one, uh, one team manager because uh, at the moment I have too many things to do. Uh, and I think at the end of the day, this has been positive for me because uh, if uh, the call from Suzuki uh, would have been done last year, uh, I don't think uh, uh, would have been the same to arrive in the team immediately after uh, David left. David has done a great job in Suzuki. The team is super well organized. Um, David. Uh, as a different character for myself, uh, because as everybody, you know, we are, we are all different. Uh, so I think that to step in the team uh, immediately after David's departure would have been more difficult for the team and for myself, because they were used to have David, and then you need to switch and to have another one. Uh, while with one season without anybody, I think uh, all the team had the time to realize that you need somebody. Uh, it doesn't mean you need only David, you need somebody, you know. Uh, David, as I said, he has done a great job, uh, but uh, I think uh, uh, the team now realized that anyway you need somebody to coordinate things. And, uh, and so I think at the end it's been good that there, is this, there has been this, this season of uh, uh, no team manager to start uh, with uh, more motivation from everybody. And what was the first weekend like back in the paddock, Livio? You didn't have pre-season, well, Suzuki, of course, had pre-season testing, but you yeah. weren't there. You got the call up late on. So you, you yourself yeah, didn't have a pre-season to get used to the team, the bike and yeah, everything else. So you were sort of chucked into the deep end, weren't because, you? Yeah, in the past, of course, I've done also the, the pre-season test. And this time is the first time in my life that I arrive and bam, it's already the race weekend, you know, so it was a little... <laughs> Strange. Straight into a uh, press conference oh, as well. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So basically, no time to just trying to remember the name of the of the guys in the team, you know, because it's, there's a more about the 30 people. It's not easy. But as I said before, uh, I'm lucky enough that there is somebody that I already knew, like Manu Caso, that is uh, the chief technician of uh, Ale, Alex uh, Reigns, and uh, he's a former Ducati guy, uh, like or. Uh, couple of mechanics that comes also from Ducati. So, uh, you know, that helps at the beginning to, to have some, uh, some feeling. And then, then in the 10 days before the, the Qatar race, uh, I've been on Skype with uh, Mitya, that is our team coordinator, he's a very nice guy, with uh, Robbie Brivio. Uh, you know, at the end, uh, they have been uh, very useful to start to, to help me to understand uh, a little bit the system. Uh, sure helps also that Sara San is a very nice guy, uh, and also Ken is the um, Kabahuchi, the, the, the team director, technical director. So at the end, uh, everything together uh, helped me to to leave this first uh, race weekend with uh, no stress and a lot of uh, smiles. 
Well, that's good. Uh, it seems we got a lot of smiles from Suzuki in pre-season as well, although he went there with a lot more power, um, <clears> seemingly anyway. That impressive, was that on Friday? It was Suzuki going past to Ducati on the main straight at La Salle. That doesn't happen too often. Uh, I'm sure the team would have wanted a little bit more than the results they got in the end, but it does seem like everyone's quite refreshed and renewed. Are you expecting to just go further and further forward now as the season goes on? Well, as we, as we always say, uh, at the moment, MotoGP is such a competitive uh, championship with uh, many different riders and machines that can potentially win the races. Uh, so it's uh, becoming more and more difficult. Uh, as always, the riders are the ones that make the biggest difference. And uh, at the moment, I believe that for the riders, because of the gap are so small, uh, you need to have a very strong uh, uh, mentality because uh, uh, like on Saturday, we were um, in third or fourth row, uh, even if we were two tenths of a second with both riders, basically from the front first row, because Mark was a two tenths of a second from the pole and uh, Alex and John was two tenths from Mark. So <laughs> two tenths out of a circuit of two minutes is basically nothing. And uh, yeah, it's a, it's a big, uh, it's a big task for the riders to manage this pressure and to, to live with this small gap because you know that uh, uh, for small mistakes, you can lose uh, a lot of places on the grid and then the, the race become more difficult. So it, it's not easy. And the race itself was for sure below the expectation after, especially after Friday practice. Uh, we are trying to analyze what's, what happened. Uh, my personal feeling is that uh, one of the things that had probably an influence on our race was uh, the pace that uh, Paul uh, gave to the race since the beginning. Um, that probably was a kind of mistake because at the end of the day, also Paul at the end was without uh, tire, rear tire, so he ended up third after leading almost all the race. Uh, we were expecting at the beginning, like it usually happened in, in Qatar, that uh, the race pace is uh, at the beginning slower. Um, and, you know, maybe also this can create a little bit of, uh, you know, for the rider is uh, <laughs> maybe they are worried to push too much because of the tires. And then anyway, is also the first race of the season. We know that Qatar is always a little bit uh, different. Um, by the way, Bastianini has done an unbelievable job and I'm super happy for the Grazini family because uh, we all remember Fausto and uh, I think uh, the debut of uh, the team uh, without Fausto and with, uh, with a different uh, structure because uh, it's the first time after a few years that they are again a full satellite team instead of basically a factory team with Aprilia. Uh, I'm super right. I mean, if somebody had to win without being a Suzuki rider, I think that uh, Grazini, <laughs> my guy, was uh, a good choice. Well, that's nice. Yeah, it was certainly, it was a pretty special opening race, wasn't it? So many storylines. Yeah. And uh, yeah, I think that's all that we wanted to ask you, that we don't want to make you sit here for hours and hours. Uh, but thank you so much for joining us. It was a pleasure. And we hope to see you in Mandalika and see Suzuki again back up near the front and fighting for that podium, if not the win. Looks like it could be a good layout for the uh, Hamamatsu factory in Indonesia. Looks uh, like. Hopefully never we'll been there. see more. I just hope that uh, the resurface of a part of the circuit has been done properly because uh, after the winter test, uh, they did the resurface a uh, few corners. Uh, it's always a question mark when something like this happens. So let's really cross our finger to go there and uh, the job has been done properly and, uh, and hopefully there will be a good race. It's good for the Indonesian fans uh, after many years uh, to go back there uh, when I was at the beginning of my career, my first race with Ducao in 250 was uh, in Indonesia, but uh, in a different circuit. Uh, and uh, <laughs> I was going to say, now we don't have Valentino. It's people like you who have raced <laughs> in Indonesia before. <laughs> Since it was uh, uh, 25 me, years uh, ago, wasn't it? <laughs> <laughs> the veterans of the paddock, exactly. So, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, I, thanks. I, I well, there's also Loris Capirossi has been there. Uh, I mean, other people. There's a few. As a rider, probably <laughs> yeah. nobody because, uh, yeah, uh, it was. Yeah, I think we have no one now. 
I think it's no, it's it. just too early for the likes of Dovi. So yeah, now we well, now we don't have Valentino on the grid. There's no one who's raced there before, and I don't think there'll be anyone who raced in Austria before the uh, Red Bull ring came back either. We've lost both uh, of those stats I, just with Valentino. Uh, <laughs> I've been in Sentul uh, when I was with Honda in 2000, even in 2017, several times. And uh, after uh, 20 years, you go there and you cannot believe that that circuit was a world championship circuit because this is something we get used and we don't notice anymore. But Dorn has done an unbelievable job in uh, improving the safety and uh, the, the circuit uh, in the last uh, 20 years uh, are really much, much better. And uh, again, if you go in a Centur circuit uh, nowadays, you cannot believe that uh, there was a world championship there. So congratulations to Dorna for the job on this. Now, I feel like I should say thank you, but of course I've played extremely little part in that. <laughs> but that's great to hear. <laughs> Glad you can see that progress now. And yeah, hopefully when we go back to Mandalika, it'll be everything ready to race. But Livio, thank you so much for joining us. We'll say goodbye thank to you now and do a little debrief of our own and uh, answer the poll that we started at the start of the show. But thank you so much for joining us and hope to see you in Mandalika and the best of success this weekend. Thank you very much. Thank you. Thanks. Thanks, Livio. <laughs> okay, so... That was a good, thank you so much. We said it, how many times have I said it now? Five, six times. But uh, <laughs> thank you so much to Olivio and to Suzuki for, uh, yeah, getting Olivio on the show. It's always nice to start a new project with a bang, isn't it? So uh, Paddock legend yeah, yeah. and uh, new team principal, great news. So yeah, that was a great little chat, wasn't it? And uh, I think we also have the results of our poll. So we're going to head into a quick debrief, aren't we? First question Absolutely, then, yeah. we asked who is your standout rider on Twitch. We have the results there. And uh, like we said, feel free to uh, spam us across social media with your answer using the hashtag MotoGP podcast. But Mr. Elliot York, who was your standout rider of the Qatar GP? Yeah, you could choose probably three or four riders and give a very good argument, couldn't you? But for me, I'm going to have to go with the race winner, Anaya Bastianini, I think. Just the way he conducted himself, the way he rode, the way he won the race. I mean, he didn't just storm <laughs> like off. The, the that would have, that that would have obviously been... <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah, of course. Yeah, it's the obvious choice. But um, yeah, the fact... I think the way he did it was impressive. Obviously, someone riding off into the distance is also impressive. But just for, in his second year as a rider, his first race with the new team, with the GP21, he just looked on it, didn't he? He was absolutely sensational. Yeah. Um, held his nerve on the last lap. I got a bit nervous for him when he came out the final Same. corner. It was and, only uh, three tenths, wasn't it? In the end, yeah, and it he was, was really sort of close. Nodding his head down the front straight, and I was like, "Keep your head down." And there, Brad's not far behind you. Uh, but yeah, it was never in doubt, really, was it? We were probably more nervous than he was. And Livio mentioned it there about Grissini, the year they've had with Fausto's tragic passing is unthinkable, really. So it was, yeah, a bit of a fairy tale for them to come into MotoGP win their first race as a, a proper independent team since 2006, Estoril, that famous race where uh, Tony Lias beat Rossi. Um, so, yeah, Anaya Bastanini for me, but it could have been three or four. That's a good shout. And uh, it's almost like we pre-prepared it, but I'm going to say Brad Binder. Uh, no, I obviously Anea was an incredible ride there. I think, like you said, the way he won is what's incredibly impressive as well, because it was very measured uh, and got the job done yeah. in pretty much the perfect way. And in only a second season, that's no mean feat. And I would have been, unfortunately, we didn't get to see it, but I would have been very interested to also watch what Jorge Martin did throughout the rest of the race. Obviously, they fought for Rookie of the Year last year. And uh, yeah. I, I, to just see whether they would have gone for it similarly. It's just an interesting comparison. Uh, super different mm. characters, both in similar-ish situations. But yeah, so I, I will say absolutely hats off to the Beast. Uh, but I'll say Brad Binder um, because I think Bastianini, it was incredible, emotional, so happy for him. But I think as well, that bike, obviously, at the end of last year, it was the absolute class of the field. And that's the machine he has now. So as we've seen before as well, like with Zarco at the start of last season, um, it's kind of, I don't want to say easier because it's not easy. But when you do get that machine as an independent team that's kind of primed to be competitive from the off, and you're not doing quite as much fettling as some of the factory guys with the, the newer parts, uh, which obviously we've seen a little bit of a roller coaster preseason for the GP22. 
Um, yeah, I, I will say Brad Binder because we saw the opposite from KTM in preseason. It was all quite calm, but a little bit muted, certainly on the timesheets. Um, obviously, they've got a new team manager as well, Francesco Guidotti, and he was uh, explaining to uh, After the Flag that it's about basically taking a breath, taking a pause and comparing everything they've got and getting a really solid base that they're going to work forward from methodically. Because obviously they've had some incredible success since they joined the Premier Class, especially in the last couple of years. But I think it seemed like they'd just gone too many things at once, desperately trying to get back that, get back that little bit of deficit that crept in last year. And well, it seems like it worked, didn't it? Brad Binder, absolutely bit, unbelievable. Yeah. For, for a little while, he looked like he was the, the cork in the bottle for a few laps, but yeah, absolutely not. Come the end of the race, he was really breathing down Bastianini's neck. And yeah, I think it was, I think weirdly that I remember it was 0.356, but uh, it was Yeah, it was 0.3 like seconds. Was very I can't close, remember the exact numbers, so you're probably right. But yeah, it wasn't, I don't know why that's I what I mean that. by, he was like coming out the final corner, they were like, Brad was like right behind Anea. Um, he really was. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, I can't, I can't disagree with what you said. KTM, uh, it was in Sepang where everyone was sort of talking about them being, yeah, struggling a lot. Kind of on the back really foot, yeah, we. struggling. No, um, we didn't. But Mandalika I mean, improved a little but... bit. Especially um, in Mandalika then... as well with a bit lower grip, I think. That's when we yeah. always see especially Brad Binder really shine. Like in Bruno, when obviously it was a little bit bumpy, some of the tarmac in areas there when we last raced there. And uh, you see some riders really complaining about that. But Brad Binder's the kind of rider where it's like, okay, if a little bit of motocross is required today, then that's fine, full gas. Um, just uh, <laughs> Just seems to really excel in those conditions through obviously he's able to ride like that, but he also seems to be one of those riders who like accepts exactly what he's got in his hands, what he's capable of doing and kind of focuses on maximizing that, um, which, you know, is an interesting one because sometimes it also pays to sort of not always be able to ride around a problem or not always be able to kind of do that because you need to work on those problems and improve them gradually over time. But, but yeah, it was a really great performance and uh, great to see such a, an unpredictable uh, race at the front. And then we've got to talk as well about Paul Aspargaro. Livio, who was uh, with us there, he, uh, he said that he thought Paul maybe made a little bit of an error with going too hot too early. What do we think about that? And what do we think about the new RC213V? Yeah, I mean, Livio is in a much better position to talk about than me because he's been a team manager for t- 25 <laughs> years. So mean. maybe an, he... an expert versus <laughs> us. <laughs> it, it was clear to see that he did go a little bit too early because he had no ties left at the end. He said it himself. Um, but he still got on the podium, and the podium's a fantastic result for Paul and for Honda in general because. I think he said we sent a message out to everyone that it's not just Mark who's able to win with Honda. I mean, he said win. He didn't win the race, but he was very close to winning the race. Um, so, yeah, Paul Paul was definitely one of the riders of the weekend for sure as well, because that, that's huge for Paul and it's it's huge for Honda as well. That was very impressive. Straight out and the box. Yeah, literally straight out of the box. The new RC213V is... Looks good, doesn't it? I mean, it's quite scary for the other manufacturers that they've brought a brand new bike to the table and straight away Paul was able to get on podium. Mark struggling a little bit with it, um, but still fifth place when riders like Pecco and Martin and Miller um, didn't even score points. So, yeah, Honda looked good. Yeah, they did. It was an interesting start, wasn't it? My stat attack that I've kept repeating uh, since I remember reading it in the stats before the weekend and it came true. Uh, I think Marquez, when he'd finished at LaSalle, he'd always been the top Honda. This is the first time he saw the flag and wasn't the top mm. Honda uh, and on the new one. So it was definitely a great job from Paul Aspargaro. Obviously, Mark had so many injury struggles with both his arm and then with those vision issues over winter. You know, I think it's almost more encouraging that he finished the race with some really good points uh, and he was able to take part in all of preseason. Said maybe on a couple of days he felt a bit tired, which I can only imagine when you've uh, not been able to really <laughs> max out training and then you get back on one of those MotoGP machines. Uh, so, yeah, I think uh, 
I wouldn't mute the Jaws music too much. It's an eight-time world champion no. and a new bike that's already been on the podium in the hands of still a, a world champion, but someone that he did have beat quite a few times last year. So we'll have to see how that team battle develops because Paulus Bargar is a very quality rider. So it's a strong lineup now with that bike and those two guys on it. Yeah, definitely. I'm super happy for Paul because I think we can all agree he's one of the nicest riders in the paddock. He's always got a smile on his face no matter what. Even last year, um, sometimes when I spoke to him, he was still happy and, well, seemingly happily anyway, put on a brave face. Um, but he's like a super nice guy, isn't he? And people forget how quick Paul is. Like he, he should have really won a race on the KTM. He was very close. I think he got five podiums before he moved to um, Honda. And then, yeah, we all know that the bike didn't really work for anyone else apart from Mark Marquez, which was fine, obviously, fonder when Mark was dominating winning championships. But as soon as he got that injury, Alex Marquez got close, very close on a couple of occasions, one in the wet at Le Mans, which is always a lottery. But the Aragon race Alex Marquez put together in 2020 yeah, he was, was, was pretty was special. But apart from that, there was no real indication from any of the riders well, Taka, that they were going to get close. Pole. True. Taka took true. a pole, but no, it's true. It was definitely on race day, sort of, yeah, just obviously finding it much more of an uphill struggle to get the most out of it, or maybe not even get the most out of it, but walk that tightrope in that window mm. where the bike was able to perform at that level. But obviously, I don't know, it seems like a lot of the kind of general consensus is that it was a good bike, but it was a good bike on an absolute knife edge. And you had to yeah. walk that throughout the entirety of the 25, 30 laps, uh, which is almost impossible for anyone at times in uh, difficult conditions and race days. So, uh, yeah, but I think that's really encouraging and exciting. And we must also, of course, talk about Aprilia, who in slightly classic style with their statistics over the past couple of seasons, were closer to the winner than ever but not quite back on the podium for the second time in the MotoGP era. Uh, but it looks really good, that uh, that bike, doesn't it? It's leaner, meaner, and uh, yeah, on race day, they uh, they definitely put up and don't need to shut up about that impressible pro- impressible? impressive progress over winter. It does look good, yeah. Um, not, it wasn't funny, but it made me chuckle a bit when Alay said he lost, he took too much time passing Mira markers almost as if it was easy to... Or it was, yeah, easy to pass them like, with oh, two world champions. These recent world champions in my way. How <laughs> yeah. dare they? Yeah, I love it. Um, but it just showed just shows how far Aprilia have come. That Aleish was frustrated to get held up by Jan Mir, the 2020 world champion, and Mark Marquez, the eight-time world champion. Um, and he he was a little. You could tell at the end of the race, he was a little bit frustrated that he didn't quite beat his brother to the podium because I think he definitely had the pace if he didn't get held up and maybe had a little bit of a better start. Uh, but yeah, a pretty look. Well, Aleish anyway looks very, very good, and I think he went under the radar um, in Qatar because we were focusing a lot on the Suzukis, weren't we? we? Were talking a lot about Honda, um, of course, Ducati with their their different engines, and that was a big talking point, wasn't it? And Yamaha, of course, with Fabio struggling. Um, so a pretty, I think after a good preseason, a pretty sort of went under the radar, and Aleish just popped up with a very, very solid fourth place so it's looking like a, a good year again or a great year should I say for Aprilia and Aleish but on the other side of the garage of course Maverick Vignal is flat to deceive a tough I think. weekend for sure yeah um I, I think it will be interesting to see how the how it goes on in time because obviously in testing Maverick was right up there with Aleish certainly on time attacks and on the time sheets he was right there so we'll have to see how that changes um as we go through the season but yeah, I think it was a great debut for the bike, certainly in the hands of Aleish. And obviously mm. Maverick is a multiple Grand Prix winner in every class. So uh, I'm sure he'll find something and get back up there at some point. Who was who was fifth then? Marks, so we've already done that. And then Suzuki, obviously, like Livio said. Yeah. Probably a little bit disappointed on race day, ultimately. But still, those, those gains, though. Uh, in a straight line, it was genuinely uh, pretty <laughs> impressive to see that on Friday. So hopefully... We're going to see a little bit more and more from from those guys at a track that does suit them better because I think they've never got better than fourth at La Salle in MotoGP. So even a podium would have been their best ever finish there. So I think we can still uh, expect a bit more. 
Yeah, they should have finished second last year, shouldn't they, with Joan Mir? But they didn't have the new engine in at that point, and the Ducatis of Pekka and Zarco just raced by. That late heartbreak. Moment... <laughs> yeah, unforgettable, really. Well, forgettable for Suzuki, but but it just goes to show, like my moment <laughs> yes, of the weekend was. I love the way you was... say that. My moment like, of the it'll weekend live in was... your memory forever. Yeah, yeah, Alex Rins in. I think it was free practice. Um, drafted Fabio Di, Di Gian Antonio. Um, pulled out the slipstream and just went by him like that's absolutely unthinkable in the last however many years because Ducati have always had the yeah. quickest bike um so Suzuki have somehow managed to find some more horses in that engine and it looks absolutely amazing and then in the race we we're on board with John Mir and then A Bastianini coming out the corner behind him pulls out the slipstream and then it pulls to the wider shot um and Ane has got nothing for him um so it's staggering really that suzuki have managed to do that um but yeah they did disappoint livio supo mentioned it there didn't he on sunday it was when jamir got a good start into fourth um i think we're all thinking okay this he's looking strong here like when he gets a good start from the third row of the grid he normally comes on strong and strong but yeah it didn't happen really it didn't, but I mean, hopefully it will do going forward. When we got our first look at Mandalika, obviously with testing, we had a bit of weather and then the track conditions as well kind of got in the way a little bit. Joan Mir then, of course, missed the third day because he was ill, uh, which is something to consider. But the the initial thoughts of the likes of Simon Crafar and the team on the ground there were this layout looks like it should suit, I mean, a lot of different bikes, but certainly like the inline fours, so Suzuki, Yamaha. But uh, Suzuki, especially... It's so impressive because that is the constant battle, isn't it, for the likes of Suzuki and Yamaha who don't have that V4 configuration in the engine. It's always about trying to maximise that power without trying to, without compromising the arguably best chassis on the grid that they've had for a couple of seasons that certainly a few competitors seemed rather uh, jealous of at times. And it seems that they've pulled that off, which, segue alert, looks like Yamaha <laughs> still lacking in that straight line speed and maybe a little bit disappointed with uh, with what they've come out the the box with in Qatar especially given obviously last year we had two races at the sale and uh, both won by Yamahas yeah they're um not looking good is it for Yamaha I mean Fabio saying it was basically a disaster and there's nothing wrong that's the problem isn't isn't what you want to be hearing if you're Yamaha and it's very worrying for the reigning world champions well is it yeah, I mean, qualifying obviously didn't help, but after qualifying is when he said nothing's wrong, that's the problem. Um, yeah. So it was never really going to go well in the race. He got a good start as well. He said that he got a brilliant start, but then he had um, some front pressure tyre issue that held him back. So maybe if that wasn't um, in play, he would have potentially had a better race, but I don't think he'd have got near the podium. Um, he might have been in the... Mark Marquez battling fifth or with the Suzuki's, but um, yeah, not not good for Yamaha, is it? I don't want to speak too badly of them because they could turn it around and uh, some other tracks, maybe it suits them better, but we say that, but Yamaha have always gone well in Qatar. They won both races there last year, so... Yeah, I think they're the yeah. most successful manufacturer at La Salle historically mm-hmm. as well, before... Because uh, I was, I had it in my head that I said to someone, I can't remember who it was, it might have been you or our colleague Jack Appleyard, of like, oh, now it's more of a Ducati track. And then when you think about it, actually, it had kind of become more of a Dovey track. He was the yeah. person on the Ducati who was fighting Marquez for those wins with those last corner moves. Um, but yeah, Yamaha, traditionally, kings of La Salle, and Honda hadn't won there since 2014 and got closer to doing that this weekend than they have for... Well, other than the Dovey moves um, for <laughs> a couple of seasons. So, yeah, I'm, I don't know. It's interesting and I'm sure a little bit worrying. You dug up some stats, didn't you, on the difference between the race last year and this year and the huge amount of time that KTM had gained with Brad Binder, for example. And then Yamaha, I think Quattararo was like two and a half, three tenths difference. Uh, between yeah, last Fabio's year and this, time so was pretty crazy. much the same. Um yeah, Brad Binder and KTM found like 15 seconds, I think, from their race last year. And Quattro was very similar to his race winning race winning pace. Um, so it just shows <laughs> the Yamaha have sort of stood still in pre-season through no fault of trying, of course. But they've not really progressed that much, whereas all the other factories have. And it was clear to see Fabio finishing ninth, Jan Zarco pipping him to P8 on the run to the line um, and the likes of... 
KTM, Honda, Suzuki all beating them. Um, so yeah, it's hard to see where they go from here. I mean, they've got a lot of work to do to try and bridge the gap. Um, but Mandalik is a new weekend. We might see Fabio Fine at the front. Um, so it's I think it's just a time will tell as to how Yamaha's season will go, but it's definitely not um, the best of starts for them. Yeah, it's definitely not. Um, but like you say, it's one race weekend. Uh, it's also a different time, 6 p.m. in Qatar local time. So many different yeah. factors that are different as well. So many different factors that are different. How eloquent. Uh, <laughs> but yeah, it's uh, certainly one race does not a championship make. But I'm no. sure they would have wanted more from that than uh, yeah, just a few points. So uh, yeah, I think we're uh, we're pretty much debrief with the main talking points, aren't we? Remy Gardner taking that final point as well, top rookie. That was uh, quite a good performance from him. Had a few words about Darren Binder maybe being a little bit too aggressive, trying to get past him. But uh, those rookies were all pretty close together, except for Bezeki, yeah. actually. He had really impressed until he unfortunately crashed out. But he'd left them a little bit in the dust. So uh, it was good stuff from Marco until that crash. But Ryder all okay and uh, hopefully more learned during the weekend. Yeah, Bezeki was really, really good, wasn't he? I think it's difficult for the rookies, especially now, because it's been well documented that this is probably the best field of riders that we've ever had in terms of talent wise and pace wise like I think we all thought Ralph Fernandez had come in on the KTM and sort of well personally I, I was expecting him to be at least challenging for the top 10 but of course that's easy said than done and it proved he was uh, I think last over the, the finish line in the the group of rookies were separated by about a second Gardner, Darren Binder, Fabio Di Antonio and Ralph Fernandez, um, so difficult for them now, isn't it? You, have, you feel a bit sorry for them because they're all super, super quick guys battling for the final points. And that's just MotoGP nowadays. Yeah. You've got to be on it straight away to be fighting for the top 10, the podium. Um, but we, have we talked about Ducati much? Because I don't think we've quite touched upon... We haven't their... talked about Ducati too much. No, that's true. We uh, just... Yeah, I said I'd like to see what Jorge Martin could have managed. But unfortunately... Mm. Um, some really bad luck there with Banyaya going for that move and uh, it's saying no thank you, them ending up in the gravel, but they seem okay. But yeah, a bit of a, a bit of a damp squib start for Ducati, wasn't it? Yeah, I mean, Miller's was an electrical fault. I think the bike got, you said, lost on circuit. It was like riding, it was like a foreigner. Um, just didn't know where it was on the track and coming out the final corner, it wasn't giving him full power. So he was worried about uh, riders run into the back of him so eventually just had to pit which is uh, the same yeah, thing and if anyone and then, yeah. listening confused what that means it's basically the mapping isn't it so the mapping that the bike yeah. is using it basically doesn't know where it is in it so uh, that's not yeah. to say there's some great reveal that actually the bikes ride themselves <laughs> uh, but obviously it is important for yeah the bike to know where it is and what it's doing and if it doesn't yeah obviously you're not gonna you're not going to make great gains when you're riding with that field. And uh, yeah, Jack had to pull in. Sorry, I'll stop interrupting now. Continue. I'm sure you've got some points about Peko. No, no, all good. Um, I mean, qualifying didn't go well for Peko, did it? Miller was fourth, but they all got they all got a terrible start, didn't they? The GP22s of Martin. Um, yeah, super strange. Zarco was far back on the grid. Peko didn't get a good start. Miller didn't get a good start. Um, and Peko was cut a really frustrated figure on especially Saturday and Sunday. Um, I mean, after his DNF on Sunday, he was really frustrated. He felt they were just focusing too much on development and he didn't get his bike until FP4. And by that point, he didn't have enough time to work on the settings and the grip and everything else for him to be able to fight for victories, which he said is what he's there for. And of course, that's what he's there for. He was runner-up and coming into it, a lot of people's favourite and rightly so after the way he finished 2021. So... Yeah, not, not a good start at all for Ducati and so uncharacteristic of Peko to go into turn one and um, one crash, but also obviously take Jorge Martin out. Thankfully, they are both okay. It was quite a scary one for Jorge Martin. He said he was scared for his life, which is fair enough because he was sort of riding on top of the bike when he headed into the gravel. So, um, yeah, onwards and upwards for Ducati, I suppose. They didn't have a great start in Qatar last year. They just can't afford to continue to have a slow start. Um but the, the upside for them is Fabio didn't do well. 
Um, Mark was only fifth. They're probably the two that you think are going to challenge for the exactly. title with Pecco and potentially Miller and Martin as well. And maybe Zarko if he um, starts getting some pace. Uh, but yeah, not much more to say really on Ducati. They were... Pecco was it was interesting because Pecco was really frustrated and it just sounded like he was a little bit fed up of focusing on development because of course it's a, a new bike um, and he was saying that Bastianini could just hop on the GP21 obviously a race winning machine and just uh, ride it basically get his settings focus on himself and I think that's what Pecco is going to be doing from now on. Yeah, I'm sure that'll be the focus of kind of trying to get that feeling back because of so many races last year, it was like Ducati out of box, on track, fastest Uh, throughout the last few races of the season. It was really impressive stuff. I think, yeah, I think we'll give them Mandalika before we really start to to twist the knife because obviously innovation as well at Ducati is always going to make life a little bit harder if you've pushed that boundary so much further. Um, but it may pay huge dividends later, as we did see last year with the with the GP21. At the end of the year, it was surely, arguably, the class of the field. But yeah, Mandalika, we'll see what happens. But then I think Portimao will be interesting because Pekka's been so quick there before. Um, so yeah, I don't know. It's all going to be an interesting season, isn't it? But I think we better stop chatting now. We had in our Twitch poll... We had 77% of you voted for Bastianini around there. So, uh, and then a lot for Binder as well. So we're pretty much in agreement. They are the standout riders as well as being first and second. Uh, and if you are yeah. listening to the audio only version, please do get in touch. Let us know. Uh, yeah, let us know your thoughts. Let us know what you thought of Livio and talking to him, your standout riders and anything that you guys want to see or hear on the podcast this season. Let us know and we shall aim to please. Yeah, definitely. I mean, Qatar was was great, wasn't it? It's, like I said at the start of the show, it's great to have motorcycle racing to talk about again because testing's good. It's good to see the, the new bikes and all the tech stuff and... Um, getting some highlights in but there's nothing like the opening race in Qatar it never disappoints it didn't disappoint this weekend and of course next up's Indonesia and I judging from testing I wasn't there you were oh you weren't there either were you but no I wasn't there either we're we're all going in blind (laughs) yeah it looks like it's gonna be a a magical weekend obviously Indonesia have waited for this for 20 odd years so yeah that should be should be a fascinating weekend as well brand new track of course fresh start for a lot of the guys yeah, it's going to be a good one. I'm not looking forward to getting up at two in the morning to cover free practices, but we'll take it on the chin. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I feel that pain. I've known that pain. <laughs> but uh, yeah, and I'm sure if you guys are watching or listening to us from Europe, you will be sharing that pain along with many of us. Uh, so yeah, thank you so much for joining us today, though, on the first podcast of the new season. We hope you've enjoyed it. Constructive criticism always welcome. Please be <laughs> kind and let us know, yeah, what you want to hear or see going forward. And uh, yeah, hopefully you've enjoyed the chance to join us live on Twitch. And if you weren't able to and you're listening in audio, thank you very much. All the same, and we very much look forward to uh, debriefing the Mandalika GP. I think we're going to return on the 22nd of March. Uh, which is a Tuesday going forward. That'll be our next Twitch date. Uh, So, yeah, thanks very much for joining us and uh, let us know how we can improve, what you want to see going forward. And I hope you enjoyed our talk to Livio Supo today. So thanks very much, guys, and we'll see you soon.